0: So much older than, I'm
1: younger
2: than that now. Hey everybody, I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton. You know, every now and then we all need a shot in the arm, a, a little nudge to remind us that life is short and we need to get up and get out and live it while we have the chance. That attitude and this radio show are called Growing Bolder. And over the next hour, you'll hear inspiring stories from people who got off the couch and made their lives something special. They're the kind of stories that will lead you to believe that,
3: yeah, you can do it too. Yeah, who doesn't need a a big dose of that? So, are you a fan of the band Big & Rich? The multi-platinum super duo has taken the country music scene by storm. We'll talk with the always-revealing John Rich to find out just how they did it and what they've learned along the way. What does it really take for a life well-lived? We'll get some fascinating insight from documentary filmmaker Sky Bergman. We'll also hear from a woman who started a national movement just by making sure that all the kids at her local school had shoes. But first, a true American comedy legend, a conversation with the one and only Carol Burnett. Amazing people, inspiring stories. This is Growing Bolder. Yeah, this is really exciting. Her sketch comedy show debuted back in 1967 and ran for 11 amazing seasons. And to this day, anyone that was fortunate enough to enjoy it, to watch it, will remember it. She was a pioneer and an inspiration for women. She was class and elegance. She was clever and outrageous, and she did the best Tarzan imitation of them all. And you know what, Bill? She is still all of that to this moment. Let's say hello to the one and only Carol Burnett. Hey, Carol, how are you? Hello. Well, we are so excited to talk to you. And and is it okay if I mention your age? Of course. Carol Burnett is 85 years old. You can hear the passion, the enthusiasm, the excitement in her voice. You know, Carol, you could have just very quietly bowed out of the public eye because as we all know, it's not easy. But you continue to stay out there. You continue to tour at your age. Why are you still doing this? What about being engaged as you are keeps you going?
1: Well, that's the point. Uh, To be engaged, it it keeps you going. Like last year, I did 20 appearances. I do a show, and it's 90 minutes of uh, just Q&A and interspersed with some clips from my show. And uh, I don't have any prepared questions or anything. There are no plants in the audience. So it really, I've said this before, it keeps the old gray matter ticking because I really have to be on my toes. You know, I can't be thinking about what I did yesterday or what I'm going to do tomorrow. I have to be in the present. And uh, and that, that I think that's healthy.
2: You know, Carol, another reason that we love you is I think that you validate to us that good guys do finish first. You've You've won every award in the business. What was it? Six Emmys, Golden Globes, People's Choice, Horatio Alger, Ace, Peabody, even a Grammy. And now the Golden Globes just named an annual Carol Burnett Award after you. So now every time when you step in front of the mic, instead of being funny, do you feel a lot of pressure to say something really profound?
1: (laughs) Not really. (laughs) No, I... I You know, I don't think, oh, I've got to be very profound here. Uh, If something comes out and it sounds like it is, it's probably an accident.
3: (laughs) 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 You know, we all benefit in so many ways because you're still engaged. You know, it seems like... You know, the best comedians are the best observers of life in general. And, of course, your style has always been one of of kind, lovingness. You know, it's not been the the caustic kind that offends people. And now that you're 80s, uh, I'm guessing it gives you uh, a perspective on life that a lot of comedians don't share because they just don't keep going. So what is life like in your 80s for you?
1: Well, uh, I'm very happy. Uh, and I'm happily married, and uh, I live in Santa Barbara, where I love it, I'm able to uh, pick and choose certain things that that I want to do, it's, um, you know, whether or not it's a guest shot on a sitcom, or again, uh, going out into the country and doing my Q&A shows. And I'm healthy, thank God. <laughs> so, and I keep busy. I, I think it's important, although I am able to just relax and be lazy, which I think is okay, too, just as long as it's not constant. And um, my average day, my gosh, (laughs) I get up early, I uh, make my coffee, and I do two crossword puzzles Mm. before I eat breakfast. (laughs)
2: You know, you know, we call the show, Carol, Growing Bolder because uh-huh. so many people struggle with that. You know, you get the Hallmark cards about how aging is a time of loss and, and disease. And, and we believe it's so important and inspiring when people like you step up to tell your story, the good and the not so good, because just like us, you know, life is a mixed bag. What can you tell us about what it takes to get through life when inevitably the walls come closing in?
1: Well... Uh- you do, again, it's one day at a time. You know, uh, I think that's the important thing to say, hey, I've got today. It's, it's a present. That's why they call it present. You're present today, and that's, that's a gift. And you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So it, it's, I think, a waste of time to fret over it. You know, good things happen, bad things happen. And uh, as you, you said, that's, that's, that's life and uh, you have to accept it, and then get on with it, you know, and, uh, you know, I've I've had, I've had the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, and I learned when, like, when I lost my daughter to cancer, um, I, there was no, what's the alternative? I had to cope. I'll never get over it, but I can live with it, and I, the way i look at it was i was grateful for the time i had with her and that we had such a fantastic loving relationship and i wouldn't trade that for the world and so uh, i uh, of course she's with me every day and uh, i welcome that i welcome well you know she look at look her up on youtube she's quite wonderful she was a a very good actress she was a writer she was a singer she wrote songs and everything and she uh she lived a, she lived in her 38 years she lived a life more than most people do when they're my age she loved people i don't she never met a stranger and uh people loved her so she was a shining light and uh you know i missed the hell out of her but as i say i'm I'm glad that I had her and that she had me.
3: Well, what, what a what a tremendous honor to be able to share this time. Folks, we're talking with Carol Burnett. I hardly think we need to remind you of that. You can hear her voice, and I think you know carol the fact that you're willing to share your voice and i don't mean what it sounds like but but what you have to say you could never tell another joke and i think you've created such a strong relationship of love and respect with so many people that just your willingness to share your life with so many means so so much and and as you say i mean it's not been easy. There was a time when you were a nobody. You came from a broken home. You were dirt poor. Probably none of your friends in high school thought you'd become what may be the greatest TV star ever. What was it? Was it persistence? Was it faith? Were you trying to prove something to your parents? What's responsible for your success? Well,
1: <laughs> I I had so many fortunate, unusual uh things that opened up for me. I, When I was a kid, I thought I would be a cartoonist. I wanted to have my own comic strip and draw. And um, then when I was uh, in high school, I... Uh oh, I'm sorry, Mike. Let me get rid of this phone.
2: Do you think it's Vicky Lawrence? <laughs> <laughs> no.
1: And so when I was in high school, I was editor of uh, the Hollywood High School newspaper. I thought I'd be a journalist. And... Um, I wanted to go to uCLA, and I saw myself on campus I t- it's going to happen, I know it, but I don't know how, because we couldn't afford the tuition and My grandmother, who raised me, said, "Well, you know, you just go take be a secretary, <laughs> you know go like, be, I love it she said, Go to secretarial school, be a secretary so you can nab the boss." <laughs> anyway i said i want i really want to go to ucla and it's going to happen i know it the tuition at that time can you believe it was 43 dollars
4: wow
1: and we couldn't afford it our our rent was 30 dollars a month we had lived in one room and um so you know my grandma said we we just don't have the money so this one morning we lived in this uh one room in an apartment building um I looked out into the lobby at this uh, mailbox, you know, where they had these pigeonhole slots. And there was an envelope in our slot. So I went out and got it, came back into the room. It had my name and address typed on on this envelope. I opened it up, and there was a $50 bill. Uh And to this day, I don't know who gave that to me. I have no idea, but it was my ticket to UCLA. And then I went to UCLA and I thought I would major in journalism, but they didn't have a school of journalism. But then I looked in the catalog and they said there was a, uh, a major in theater arts, English, where I could take the playwriting courses. So I, I thought, well, I'll major in that, and uh, you know, English and so forth. and. You had to take, in your freshman year, I had to take an acting course, costume course, costume building, uh, scenery, and lighting, along with all my other subjects. And I had to get up and do a scene, and I was terrified in front of the class. There were about 10 of us, or 11 in the class. And I picked something kind of light and easy, because the other kids were doing heavy, dramatic stuff. And I thought, oh, my God, I can never do that. So I did this light moment, and they laughed <laughs> where they should should have laughed. All of a sudden, it was like, "Oh my, I like this feeling." Well, I'm telling you my life story. Aren't you bored? <laughs> no, I.
2: But you know, Carol, the cool thing about it is the the bottom line is you stood up and you took a chance, and it didn't yeah. it didn't go the exactly the way you wanted to go, but. I don't think any of us would argue that it it didn't work out just right. You know, we all love celebrities. This is the last question and we'll let you go because we know you do have to run that more than any celebrity, you feel to us like family because we we sense that you put your heart into what you do. So I I just want to ask you before we go, uh, for all the people that always want to say hi to you and thank you for brightening our lives, what is it that you hope all of us learn from your example about how to live life.
1: Oh my! Now you're now you're asking me to be profound. <laughs>
2: that's right. We don't have an award for you, but we would still like the profound speech.
1: <laughs> I, you know, I think the main thing is to just be grateful for the gifts that have been given us. You know, and just thank God every day for your health and for being able to do what you love. You know, if if that's a possibility for people. Uh, it's uh, and just to, I guess keep on trucking and to you know oh here's here's one uh, my favorite actor was James Stewart and he was as kind as you would expect he was just a talented but also a very kind kind gentleman and uh, I got to know his twin daughters uh, when I went back to uh, attend a dinner at uh, in his honor. A couple of years ago, and his twin daughters gave me a T-shirt that had a saying on it, and it was what James Stewart told them when they said, Dad, we're going to college, uh, do you have any advice? And his advice was, always be nice to people. Hmm. And that's written on the T-shirt that I, sometimes I sleep in it, I just, <laughs> you know. But that's who he was, and I think that's so important because when you smile at somebody that might be having a bad day, you're going to cheer them up. And that's good for you, too.
2: You know, Carol, we've had so many celebrities on this program, and you were one of the dearest, not just to Mark and I, but to everybody on our staff and everybody in general. I hope you feel that you're just not a celebrity to, to the American public. You really are dear To all of us and folks she's on tour You can go online to find out Where she's going to be appearing You can also find where to purchase episodes Of the Carol Burnett show and her book She's got several of them She's not just a performer She really is a gift to our society And our lives What a thrill to get a growing bolder Perspective on life From Carol Burnett Thanks Carol
1: I'm so glad we had this time Together just to have a laugh or sing a song.
2: Up next, a group of women who seem Just to have found their fountain of youth you on the tennis court. This is Growing Boulder.
1: Comes the time we have to stay so long.
5: Support for Growing Boulder provided by...
2: Advent Health, introducing the Feel Whole Challenge, a 21-day program offering big improvements through small steps. Taking a walk, making a smoothie, changes that encourage whole person health. More information at feelwholechallenge.com. And by... The Legacy Life Project from Macbeth Studio. Preserving family history, stories, and memories for generations to come by creating personal video biographies of your loved ones. Everyone has a story worth preserving. Legacylifeproject.com.
3: Mark and Bill here on Growing Boulder, and here's a frightening statistic. 80% of us don't come anywhere near the total recommended amount of exercise that doctors say we need to stay healthy, 80%. The most common reason, well, people simply don't want to go to the gym.
2: And if you're one of the people that thinks like that, Try to make sure you're not missing the point. We've got the wrong idea about exercise. You don't have to go to a gym to get it. And who says it has to be boring? In fact, we found a group of women between 75 and 96 who get all the exercise they need by getting together to play tennis.
0: I'm Jean Carolyn, and I'm 96, and I love to play tennis.
2: Hasn't anybody told you 96 is too old to play tennis? Well, it's too old.
0: (laughs) But not that. (laughs) I swim a lot. I do water aerobics. I uh, play a lot of bridge.
2: Did you ever expect that life at 96 would be like this?
0: No, I didn't. I thought I'd be long gone. (laughs) First one in, please. Hi, I'm uh, Harriet Freeman. Uh, I'm 90 years old. It's something that I started when I was in my 40s, and uh, I liked it, and it made me feel good because I was using my body. And so I continued it, and of course now it's become very important in my life. So when are you going to wind down? I'm not, if I have my way.
2: (laughs) Life in your 90s is good? Yes,
0: it's very good. Oh, I also have a boyfriend. (laughs) I have a friend who's exactly the same age as I am. We come from the same backgrounds. And she's sitting in a senior citizen home waiting to die. She's not doing anything. And I feel so bad for her. Hi, Louise Johnson, 71. I think it's really, really wonderful. I love to hear those things, and it gives me hope that I can continue into my 90s. Hi, I'm Jerry Weber. I'm 72. I'm Barbara Weber, no relation to Jerry, and I happened to turn 80 last month. It's a wonderful life. It really is. And uh, And it's a wonderful part of our life to be out here when we can. Exactly, exactly. Mm. Never sit home. That's right. That's right. Get out, even if it's to walk at the mall. Right. Exactly. Hi, I'm Anna Sullivan, not 71. <laughs> My doctor says that this is the best thing I can do for myself. It's better than any medication. It's better than anything else. The exercise, stretching, running, it's just good for you. Exercise keeps you going. I have a husband at home with Parkinson's. And that's been the thing that they talk about and emphasize with him is exercise. Do
2: you guys get that other people look at you and they say, I just don't think I could ever do that?
0: Yes, and that makes me happy. <laughs> I, I I, yeah, because we're still <laughs> doing it. And I really do encourage other people to do it because they can. Oh, do you know my grandchildren tell me I'm the fastest runner that they know? It's the truth. And we make her practice. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, a generation or so ago, that never happened. It never no. happened. Oh, no. My grandmother sat at the kitchen table until she died in 90, at 92. I mean, what kind of joy could she have had out of life if she had just gotten involved in something that her kids were involved in? <laughs> they think... Oh, you're crazy to get out there in that heat and that sort of thing. And so get get up that early in the morning. I mean, who would want to do that? We would. Yes, (laughs) yes, definitely.
2: How important are the rest of these ladies to you?
0: Very important. Very important. I I find uh, without them, I'd be friendless. I've met so many people through tennis that it's made my life so much richer. I play six days a week, oh, no. and I, I make sure that each day is going to be filled and Where fun. You... Right now is the best time of my life. We're getting our eighth great-grandchild this November, wow. and life is perfect. Keep moving. Keep doing stuff. And keep you friends. And life is good at 91? It's great. It's great. I I enjoy life.
3: And that is the key. Life is good when you work your body so you're healthy enough to be able to do the things you love. You're right, Mark. Listen, we've all got to move, so don't make it a
2: chore. Find something you love and share it with your friends. Big and Rich is one of the hottest duos in country music. Part of the reason is John Rich's inspiring outlook on life, which he'll share with us next. This is Growing Boulder.
5: Support for Growing Boulder provided by
2: The Center for Health and Well-Being now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingboulder.com.
1: Then I saddle up my horse and I ride into the city.
2: song is nothing but great. You remember it was the debut album for the country music duo Big and & Rich. And how about that? Out of the gate with four killer singles off that record, Mark. And to this day, Big Kenny and John Rich,
3: they keep cranking them out. Kind of feels like destiny, right? Well, for the longest time, they weren't sure if they were even going to make it in the music biz. A lot of you may know that uh, John Rich was in the band Lone Star but did you know they actually fired him? So if anybody out there has had setbacks or doubted yourself or had some tough breaks, there may be a lot we can learn from Mr. John Rich. John, how are you today?
6: Well, I am good, fellas. What a way to kick off the day, huh?
3: Man, yeah, I'm energized just hearing your voice. And let's start with that, if, if we can. Before the hits, before you became somebody that we all admired, how tough was it to deal with that rejection? What made you just keep pushing through?
6: Well, you know, we got this thing called the American dream, guys. And I've I've said this before. The Constitution does not guarantee us happiness or success. It guarantees us the right to pursue that. And for me, that's what's always propelled me. Even when I get completely knocked down, you know that, hey, man, get back up and keep swinging. Maybe there's a reason why you didn't win that time. I can tell you that most people that have ever had big successes in their life the ratio of success to failure is it's not even close. You're going to fail the majority of the time when you're going after really big goals. And that's part of the process. I think it weeds out who's really serious about what they're doing and who's not. And I've always been very serious about my music, about my songwriting, about being an entrepreneur, about, you know, giving back, to people that need it, and the more success you have, the more you can give back. That also propels me, too, to succeed as much as I possibly can. I want them to say at the end of my life, now that guy right there exhausted his potential. That's what I want them to say.
2: You you see, folks, people are not just fans of John They're inspired by you, basically, because despite the fact you've achieved superstar status, you started as a regular guy. You're still a regular guy. In fact, when did you realize that your career was going to be in music.
6: You know, I grew up in Amarillo, Texas, which is up in the panhandle of Texas. And if you can't plow a field or rope a calf, you're probably not going to have a job. I mean, that's, it's Cowtown, USA. And I never realized people could make money playing music. My dad's a preacher, and he played guitar and sang in church because he, he, he preached in small churches. And I wanted to be like my dad, so he taught me how to play the guitar. And I would sit behind the pulpit and play along to, you know— Amazing Grace and I'll Fly Away and whatever. And then we moved to Tennessee when I was a teenager and I started realizing, oh wow, people actually make money doing this. And so I started auditioning for places like Opryland. I would sing on the street corner for tips. I would beg bar and steal my way into talent contests when I was too young to even be in that bar. I mean, I knew that's what I wanted to do. I turned down college to go out on the road with these guys that Did not even have a record deal at the time, which wound up becoming Lone Star. You know, I think part of chasing down your your big dream is going to be a lot of risk. There's going to be a lot of risk involved, a lot of failure. But if you stick with it, you got a shot.
3: You know, uh, we're talking with John Rich, folks, who, who just told us his dad was a preacher. And John, uh, man, you got that gene as well. You are preaching, brother. You're preaching from the Book of Boulder, because we always talk about the same thing, especially as we get older. We have to continue to be persistent. And when we do make it, we, we really haven't ever made it for good. And I've heard you say that, that uh, not only the more you have, but you've got more to lose at that point. So you just have to keep on keeping on.
6: Well, that's true, but but I kind of look at it the opposite of that. The more you have and the more you gain, the more you can give. Wow. You know, that's a big thing to me. So, you know, I've got this whiskey that's uh, called Redneck Riviera American Blended Whiskey in 41 states across the country right now, and our goal was 12 states for this year, 41. And a lot of those states are, are selling it so fast that they can't even keep it on the shelves. I give 10% of the profits of every single bottle of Redneck Riviera Whiskey back to a group called the Folds of Honor, which what they do is they put kids through college who lost a mom or a dad fighting in combat, fighting for our country. And so far this year, because we are selling so much of this whiskey, guys, we've now funded 37 college grants with Redneck Riviera Whiskey.
2: And it's not just a business. You've tied this to a purpose, to a cause for, for, for people to jump on the on the bus and follow along with you.
6: Well, it's called tithing. You know, having a dad that was a preacher, I remember the first dollar I ever got of allowance money for chopping weeds out of the tomato patch, right? He hands me a dollar. I'm five years old. He goes, now you make sure you tithe on that. And I said, what's tithe, daddy? He goes, that means you got to give 10%. That'd be 10 cents on that dollar to somebody else that needs it. And you always have to do that. No matter if you make a little bit of money or a whole lot of money or somewhere in the middle, always tithe. Well, I've always practiced that. And with Redneck Riviera American Blended Whiskey, that 10% goes to the Folds of Honor. And when you start talking about 37 college grants that this is already paid for, it's unbelievable. I met a girl in New York a few days ago who walked up to me and said, I go to the University of Central Florida. I'm on a Folds of Honor scholarship because my dad was killed in combat. And Redneck Riviera Whiskey is funding my Folds of Honor scholarship. You want to talk about chills, guys. I mean, that will put you uh, in a state of mind. It's just overpowering, honestly, to meet a real person that's being affected like that.
3: Moving forward and, and giving back, uh, we, we, we admire that so much. Uh, much of what we talk about, Bill and I, John, is, is taking a risk, making a change, because as we get older, typically our worlds get smaller. We're afraid to take risks, even small risk. Uh, you are a guy who lives by the mantra of put it out there and let's see what happens. Can you give us just a bit of a John Rich pep talk about how, <laughs> we, can, how we can put a John Rich beat into our own lives?
6: Well, I mean, we live in, in the only country on the planet that allows us to go after the wildest possible dream we have. I mean, let's start there. If you, if you woke up in America this morning, count yourself as one of the most lucky human beings on the face of this planet, that we have the right to chase the American dream. And I will tell you this, taking risks is part of it. If you're not a risk taker, then you're not serious about it. That's the way I look at it. Failure is going to be part of the equation of success. You have to fail to know how to do it better. Only a certain amount of people are ever going to really, really hit the top notch. And to get there, a lot of failures go down. I will tell you this, though, guys. People will not remember you for your failures. They'll remember you for your successes. So go for them.
2: Great themes there already. And when the John Rich movie gets made, and I know it's gonna, what is it? Is it a story of success against the odds? Is it a story about taking risks, selflessness, teamwork? What do you hope that it's about?
6: You know, all of that, probably. I mean, I I think, uh, I don't know that anybody's ever going to make a movie about me, but, um, you know, I've I've definitely gone through spans of my life where I was right on the edge of really messing everything up, and you have to be able to keep great people around you that are truly your friends that will tell you the hard news even when they know you don't want to hear it because they care about you. You want to keep people like that around you in your life. And then if you've got great people around you, just go for it, man. I mean, you, you swing for the fence. What's the worst that can happen? You fail, Fine. Get back up and swing at it again. Come at it from a different angle. I guess the story of my life would be how can, how can a person exhaust their potential and also have massive impact for other people that are trying to do the same thing? I'm trying to, like you said, moving forward and giving back simultaneously. To me, that's the great balance we're trying to strike.
2: You know, it's so interesting. People think that maybe it's two diametrically opposed skills. But the reason you're such a great songwriter, such a great performer, is that you get life and you get people. And, folks, there's so much going on with singing and songwriting and the Redneck Riviera Whiskey. All of the fundraisers and projects that he's involved in, you need to check out his website just to keep up. Follow this guy because he is dynamic. He is paving a path that the rest of us can follow. It's johnrich.com. Our thanks to the always inspiring John Rich. Hey, you try to do your best, but are you living a life well-lived? What does that even mean? We'll talk about it with the creator of a great new documentary film that's pretty inspirational, next on Growing Boulder.
5: Support for Growing Boulder provided by
2: Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton, and this is Growing Bolder, a program that's dedicated to breaking the stereotypes of age. You know the ones we're talking about, Growing Bolder. It's about helping people of all ages understand that as you move into your 50s or 60s or 70s and on, that you can live a fulfilling life.
3: You can continue to have new and exciting adventures, and you can make a difference. You know, Billy, I believe it can be the best of our lives. And there's a documentary film out there now that really pretty much has the same message. It's called Lives Well-Lived, Celebrating the Secrets, Wit and Wisdom of Age. It was created by a fascinating person. She's an accomplished award winning photographer whose relationship with her own grandmother inspired her to try her hand at directing. And guess what, folks? She ended up creating this critically acclaimed award winning film. Let's find out more as we say hello to Sky Bergman. Hey, Sky, how are you?
4: I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me.
3: Now, we're thrilled to talk to you. We love your work. Congratulations on your film. I know it's been incredibly well received. What was it that made you think that this was a topic you wanted to tackle?
4: Well, really, as you mentioned, it was because of my grandmother. I I just I grew up with my grandmother and we were the closest of friends. And at 99, she was still working out at the gym. And I thought, oh my God, I better film this because nobody's going to believe that at 99, she's still working out. And um, I filmed her, and I just, as a throwaway comment, said, Grandma, can you give me some words of wisdom? And that was really how the project began because uh, I came back from that trip. She lived in Florida, and I live in California. And I put together a one minute video clip of her at the gym and her words of wisdom. And I thought, I want to find other people out there that are as much an inspiration as my grandmother is to me, and that was started a four year journey of interviewing forty people so it was it was pretty amazing
2: ninety nine and working out at the gym you didn't think you didn't <laughs> think everybody ninety nine did that did you
4: uh no, but she had a phrase, um, move it or lose it, and I so remember that because, you know, there are times for all of us when we, don't, we think, oh, I don't want to go to the gym, or I do yoga, I don't want to do yoga, and I would think of my grandmother lifting her weights at 99, still at the gym, and that got me motivated.
2: <laughs> and is your grandmother still with us?
4: No, she, um, fortunately enough, came out to California when she was 103 and a half and saw a sneak preview of the film along with 850 people mm-hmm. in a packed, sold-out theater here and um, for the San Luis Film Festival and she passed away peacefully six weeks after the screening of the film. She uh, literally said, I'm done, and she stopped eating and drinking, and she passed away in two days. I think my mom says she lived long enough to see the film on the big screen. That was her goal, and she did it.
3: (laughs) You know what? We love that. You know That is what we and everybody else calls compressed morbidity. Those who live active, engaged, social lives, typically when they go, they go very quickly. And, uh, you know, we say sign us up. For Compressed Morbidity. Uh, You know, it's such a great project, and we we really are kind of swimming in the same pond here with with Sky Bergman. We're talking to uh, an award-winning documentary filmmaker. When you tell a story of older people, the challenge that we face, uh, and we like to think we do it well, and we know that you do because we've seen your work, is tell a story about older people in a way that appeals to younger people because that's really kind of the bottom line. We are trying to let people know uh, that, that, that what they've been led to believe about aging is not necessarily true. How has uh, a younger audience responded to your film, Sky?
4: Well, thank you for asking that. You know, right now I'm working on a number of intergenerational projects where we're using the film as a catalyst to connect the generations. Because I feel like I can, if I can do something to combat ageism, just one connection at a time. I think that that's very helpful in this world right now. And um, I think that you know, younger people, the reason that they're connecting with the film is because in the film there's a lot of historic footage and a lot of footage of the people when they were younger as well. So the students and the the younger um, generation can look at that and see themselves in it. And I think once you see yourself and someone else, um, it, you know, it's a common bond. It's a much more universal appeal.
2: You know, uh, one of the things that we share with you as well, it's one thing to want to make a film that focuses on aging. But the reality is, is that you have to find people that are willing to help fund it, too. And there are so many different causes out there that that people are looking uh, for exposure. How did you sell this concept when you were trying to interest investors?
4: You know, I actually did it as a self-funded um, project. I, I'm i very lucky. I teach at a university, so I have a day job. And um, I just was so passionate about it that I knew I needed to see it through to the end. And um, I did a small Indiegogo campaign. And But as a first-time filmmaker, I don't think anybody knew what I was doing. Or it's like, oh, you're doing this project with you know older people. And it really wasn't until I had a trailer put together that people really got the message and they, they laugh. There are some funny moments, which I think is really important in filmmaking to have those funny moments. And, and you get sad at other moments and all in the span of two minutes in a trailer. And I think that is what got people a little bit more on board. Um, but I, I always say that the more personal your, more, your message is, the more universal it becomes. And I just, this was something that I absolutely had to do, and I was eating, breathing, and living it um, until I got it out there. So I just made it happen.
3: We are talking with Sky Bergman, who has a film called Lives Well-Lived, Celebrating the Secrets, Wit, and Wisdom of Age. And, of course, folks, before this interview is over, we're going to tell you what you need to do or how you can find this film and watch it, uh, because it is great. But let's find out more about the film if we can. Uh, Sky, I understand that you highlight 40 people in the film from 75 to 100. Now, did you have a a standard list of questions that you asked them? How did you get them to tell you what you wanted to hear?
4: Yes, I think that one of the hardest things when you're interviewing somebody, and this is true for those of you out there that might want to interview a loved one, which I would encourage you to do, is to know where to start. Because if you just say, can you tell me something about yourself, kind of people might have a blank stare. And so I worked for about six months. Um, coming up, formulating the questions that I came up with. And they are on our website. So you can find those questions there. I worked with, because I teach at a university, I took the people from the social sciences department out to lunch and the person that taught the psychology of aging. And I said, if you were going to do a project like this, what are some of the questions that you would want to ask? So For example, you know, besides what is a life well-lived, one of the questions of what do you wish younger people understood about life and what do you think of your own mortality, Um, you know, questions like that that I think um, led people to give me answers. And then you ask the follow-up questions as well. And so as I was uh, going through the process of making the film, I set about making the film because I thought I was going to collect all these words of wisdom of of the people that I was interviewing. But in fact, it was that and also their incredible stories of triumph over some really difficult times. And um, I think that that remaining positive in the midst of adversity was a a major theme uh, in what I saw and all the people that I interviewed.
3: Have you found that those who feel like they have a life well lived and are really old uh, are no longer afraid of death? You mentioned that you talked to them about mortality because, you know, I want to believe that at some point if we feel like we've left it all out there on the field, we've said what needs to be said, we've done what needs to be done, we've, you know, we're, we're proud of the way we live, that, that, that we're not afraid any longer uh, about what's next.
4: Absolutely. I totally agree with that. And I think um, Evie Justison says it best in the film where she said, you know, I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. And I think that that's the way that really the people in the film felt that they had really achieved what they wanted to achieve and that they felt pretty good about where they were at and what they had done and the legacy that they were leaving behind. And I also think that it was really important to them. Many of them thanked me for collecting their stories. And, and you know, it gives, I think, one of the things that we don't realize when we collect people's stories – is that it gives their life some sense of validity and some sense of meaning, that they are leaving something behind. And so I think that's another important reason to collect their stories. But I don't feel like people were, were that um, concerned about dying. I mean, they know, all know what's going to happen. And like they said, they have far less time in front of them than behind them. But I think you're right that when you get to a point where you feel like you've lived a good life, it's a lot easier to let go than if you feel like you still have a lot of unfinished business.
2: What would you say is the takeaway? What can we learn from from this life that you've lived over the past number of years in creating this film?
4: Well, I think, like I said before, really live life in the moment. And I think the other thing that I learned is to put the cell phone away, put our devices away, and really have human interaction with other people. Um, You will learn so much from them if you really pay attention. And I always say that everyone has a story to tell if we just take the time to listen. And how much better would the world be if we really took the time to listen? And one of the things that I learned in the research for the film was that the last hundred years is the first time in Human history that we've looked to anyone other than our elders for advice, and I really feel the world is suffering.
2: Sky, I have a feeling a lot of people are going to want to see this film. It's called <laughs> Life. <think> so. <laughs> it's called Lives Well Lived, folks. Celebrating the wit and wisdom of age. You can learn more at lives-well-lived.com. Sky Bergman, great to meet you here. Up next, all she wanted to do was fix it so the kids at her school had a decent pair of shoes. Well, how that one small step turned into a national movement. This is Growing Boulder.
5: Support for Growing Boulder provided by...
2: Advent Health, introducing the Feel Whole Challenge, a 21-day program offering big improvements through small steps like a daily walk, making smoothies, changes that encourage whole person health. More information at feelwholechallenge.com. Subscribe to Growing Boulder Magazine now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingboulder.com/slash-subscribe. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton, and this is Growing Bolder, inspiring you to add more passion and purpose to your life and to truly make a difference for as long as you can. And our next guest is proof that you don't have to be anyone special or rich or even powerful to be able to do
3: it. Yeah, it's a great point, Bill. And what she will show us all is really that first and foremost, you just have to care. And if all goes well before you know it, you could even improve the lives of millions. It's an important story that needs to be heard and not just to give her credit for what she started but to make us all realize that we're all capable of doing something bigger than we ever dreamed so let's find out more as we say hello to Elodie McGurk. Hey Elodie how are you?
7: Hey Mark, Bill good to talk to you this morning thanks so much for having me on your show. Well
3: you know we're thrilled to have you and we love your story because I think if we leave ourselves open to possibility we just never know when or where inspiration might strike us. And your whole life basically changed because of a conversation with someone you met at a dinner party. What did you hear?
7: Well, I had gone to dinner with a group of friends, and I did something I never did before. I started talking to the lady in the next booth, and uh, we were comparing notes on our jobs. And she was a secretary at an elementary school, which was right down the street from where I lived. And I asked her if she liked her job, and she said she loved it, but it made her very sad and i immediately wanted to know more because that's an odd thing to say she said well take today for instance a little boy came into the office crying that his feet hurt and he had done this several times throughout the morning finally after lunch in the afternoon we sat him down on the bench and took his shoes off and she says to our surprise the reason he was crying is his parents had actually taken his toes under underneath his foot Mm. shoved them in shoes that were way too tiny laced them up, and sent him to school that way. Mm. And I said, oh, my God, that's awful. What did you do? She said we massaged his feet, turned his toes back under, and put his shoes back on him and sent him to class. And I said, well, uh, why didn't you just buy him a pair of shoes at lunchtime? You know?" And she said, oh, we have hundreds of kids just like him. Mm. And uh, she says, there's just so many people, you know, we just don't know what to do. And I thought, you know, being a single mom, you go from a family that has enough financially to a single mom, which you're, you're strapped for money all the time. And um, I could relate to not having enough money to do, you know, to provide for your kids.
2: Uh, okay, Elodie, so, I want to I interrupt you here for just a second, because at this point, we're all with you. We all feel the same sadness, the same outrage. But yeah. but the rest of the story is where you separate for most of us, we all hear about things that make us upset. And usually after a minute or two, we just change the conversation and move on. But that didn't happen with you. Why not?
7: Uh, well, I I don't know why, really. I, 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 I work with a lot of wonderful people at Harvey Mudd College. And one morning I woke up and I thought, look, why don't I bet if they knew the story I heard, they would want to help. And so I thought, this idea could work. And what was interesting was I called the principal at the school, and I said that I had talked to his secretary, and I asked if, um, if he would allow me to buy shoes for the kids. I was going to call on the community I work with, and they were each hopefully going to buy a pair of shoes, and there were hundreds of people here, and we could help the hundred or so kids at his school. And he said, I don't want to do that. And I said, what? Why not? And he was very quiet and he said, do you know how many people have tried to help? And it goes nowhere. People promise me help all the time and never do anything. And I said, look, my mama raised me that if you tell somebody you're gonna do something, you gotta do it. I said, I promise you that if I tell you I'm gonna do something, I will do it. Please give me this chance. And finally, after about 15 minutes of talking, he goes, okay, we'll try it. And I said, look, if it doesn't go anywhere, then you can tell me I told you so. And so I got permission to put up a bulletin board, and I set a fire around. And I guess, I guess the response, you know, I, I really don't know why, I, it just seemed to happen. It seems like something I was able to do and the more I was involved in it, the more I wanted to do. And I was just helping kids at one school and so were the people at the campus where I was working. What surprised me is that one day I got a phone call from another college, and one of the students said, Are you doing that shoe thing? I said, Yes, I am. She said, Do you think that you could show us how to do it? Then I realized, Wow, people actually want to do the same thing. And I called you know, the school district and got another school that where the kids were needy and matched them. And then I, on my lunch hour, I met with her. And then it started growing from there. And after four years... We were actually
2: in 33 elementary schools. Now, Elodie, again, I want to forward the story here because I don't want you to leave before we get to the main point. The main point is not to do exactly what you did, which is create this incredible organization called Shoes That Fit that has given 2 million pairs of shoes to needy students all across America. But, Elodie, your story is that you stepped up and made a difference in an area where you had no training. You you didn't have like a a wealth of financial aid. You didn't have this structure. We need to inspire more people to be like you, Elodie. What can we do to do that? What can you tell us about
7: that? You know what I learned from it is that it it gave me energy rather than taking it. The more I did, the more it inspired me is is all I can say. I, I, I was a single mom for 14 years and I just had a lot of empathy for kids. I had been a teacher prior to going through the divorce, and I love kids. And when I heard that little boy was suffering like that, I just I couldn't ignore it. That's why. I mean, basically anybody could do what I did. They just got to stay at it. And I didn't accept no for an answer. I mean, I, just, I stayed at it, and if there was a roadblock, uh, I tried to overcome it. And as it grew, it just got bigger and bigger. And people said, oh, my gosh, this, this could be national. And I go, I'm just trying to help people in my neighborhood. I, I don't know about it going national, you know. But then pretty much it did. So, I mean, it's just a tremendous feeling to see their faces and hear the stories about the kids. And some of the kids are so grateful they want to sleep in their shoes and never take them off. I mean, when was the last time we gave our kids a gift where they were so grateful they wanted to sleep in their shoes? And it gave me energy it didn't it didn't take it away I don't know why it did that. But if it did it for me, it could do it for other people, too.
3: Amen. Well, you know, that that is really a good place to, to leave it. This is Elodie McGuirk, people, who, uh, you know, we often say that, you know, this stage of our life is really a life stage looking for a purpose. So many people want to figure out a way to give back to their community, to help out in even just small ways. And sometimes if your heart's in the right place, it can grow bigger than you ever imagined, just like it did for Elodie, who now, uh, in this life stage, has an entirely new passion to define who she is and what she's doing. Uh, Her company is called Shoes That Fit and I'm sure they would love your help if you're able. Well, that'll do it for this hour, but Growing Boulder doesn't stop here. Be sure to check out growingbolder.com for inspiring videos, motivational interviews. It's where you can subscribe to Growing Boulder Magazine, get a copy of the book, Growing Boulder: Defy the Cult of Youth, and check out our very cool t-shirts. And don't forget to check us out on Facebook where you will find uplifting and inspiring posts you can share with your friends and family and, of course, comment on them as well.
2: And folks, we hope you agree with us. It's time to take control of our own lives don't just sit there and watch them go by be the star of your own life story start finding ways to do the things you want to do to be the person you want to be get involved make a difference in the lives of others there's no better time than now to start living your life to the fullest and that's what we call growing boulder
5: growing boulder is a production of boulder broadcasting all rights reserved This program was recorded live at Growing Boulders Studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and TuneIn. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producers are Jackie Carlin, Robert Thompson, and Emily Thompson. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Production manager is Michael Nanis. Director of Technology is Joshua Doolittle. Chief Audio Engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member is you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep growing bolder every day.
1: Crimson.